Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And thanks so much for tuning in today. I'm excited to have you here listening to the Firetime Podcast. Now, I'm floored, but we're actually almost done with season two, and I'm seriously going back and looking through all these episodes that we've had, the guests that have been on here, and the content that's been produced, and I'm just shocked by it. It could not have happened without everyone in this audience that's listening. I actually just got back from Kansas City a couple days ago. I was speaking out there at the Midwest HPBA show. Number one, it's an amazing show. We covered a whole bunch of content on sales, on marketing, and on the impending NSPS regulations on wood-burning products. But when I was out there, I had so many people coming up and talking to me about the podcast and talking about how they've been sharing it with their team members and how the content in this podcast has been used to grow their businesses and help them win. And that just floors me. This is something that I'm just amazed at every day that it's becoming more and more of a community. And I'm so thankful that you guys are wanting to go on this journey as well. Now, The topic of today's episode is one that I'm really excited to jump into. You know from the episode title, it's called Why She Buys. And I'll just come right out and say it. Guys, our industry is very male-dominated. I don't think that's a controversial statement to make. But one thing that I have realized over the last couple of years is that when it comes to selling to women, I still have a lot to learn. And I'm guessing that if you're a dude listening to this, then you do too. And you might take a step back and think, well, we sell wood stoves and we sell fire and that's what big burly guys like. You know, and there might be some truth to that, but the reality is, is that even if you're selling it to a big burly guy, if there's a woman in that home, she's got the veto vote, even if the purchase isn't for her. And frankly, I think it's something that our industry has largely missed. And so in today's episode, I'm really excited to talk to one of the most prominent women in our industry. She's someone that I've known for a couple years now. And I think that she just has some amazing insight into what women are looking for when it comes to making a purchasing decision. And as you listen to her, this is someone who is extremely smart. She knows sales, she knows marketing, and it's worth listening to this because very often, and women in our industry can kind of get passed over. I mean, I've seen firsthand where men in showrooms have not wanted to talk to ladies because they didn't think they knew enough about their wood stove, which is ridiculous. But I think that getting some insight into how the female mind works, particularly in our industry, is going to be really useful for everybody. So whether you're a dude or a lady listening to this, I know you're going to get a lot out of this conversation. I think it's going to give you just some amazing insights into sales, into marketing, into the status of our industry right now in general. And most importantly, into the female perspective when it comes to making a buying decision. So we'll circle back at the end and we'll talk about it, but I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation. Joining me from Lakeville, Minnesota is the Senior Vice President of U.S. Sales and Marketing at Hearthenome Technologies. I'm joined today by Jenny Foreman. Jenny, how are you doing today? Just great. Thanks, Tim. I'm happy to be here with you. That's awesome. Well, it's my pleasure to have you. I think that you're going to bring a ton of value to our audience here. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have you on board. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Jenny, you're uh, you're kind of a legend in this industry, and I want to kind of get into your journey. But first, let's talk about your role at Hearthenome Technologies. What exactly does the Senior Vice President of U.S. Sales and Marketing do? It sounds like a little bit of everything, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. But that's, that's what I like about it, really. Um, 
So I represent uh, at the senior level our sales team for dealer uh, selling across the U.S. as well as wholesale distribution uh, in the U.S. as well, and then channel marketing. So the portion of marketing that I would describe as B two B, they're uh, the group that communicates with our customers um, throughout the U.S. Uh, works on promotions. Do, do they do some digital? And, uh, you know, communication through our uh, monthly newsletter, giving our customers all the key insights that they need into what we have on the on the palette in, in terms of new products and um, kind of everything that's going on within our business. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I think about a lot is that with most companies, when it comes to marketing, I'm, I'm kind of a marketing nerd, but with most companies, when it comes to that, they've got one customer and one message. Now, you guys have a lot of different customers, a lot of different channels. You've got distributors, you've got dealers. I mean, that's got to keep your hands full, right? Yeah, we do. And the other thing is we also have some of our owned business. So we have owned retail in Minnesota. So we Mm -hmm. own a little bit of our um, own retail, which gives us a chance to experiment on the retail side, which is a very unique characteristic in the industry. We also have some of our own distribution uh, out on the East Coast. So again, that gives us a chance to to learn a little bit more insights into the business. That, that vertical integration that we have is really an awesome way to learn about the business. And then, yeah, our channel approach to how we go to market is a little bit unique in that we do keep the retail side, the new construction side. We even have a new business development side that handles everything outside the U.S. as well as opportunities that we would describe as a little bit outside the core, so more unique opportunities like the DIY channel. Yeah, that's awesome, Jenny. Well, so one thing I wanted to ask you about, I, I want to find out about your journey in the hearth industry specifically. I mean, I feel like you are one of the um, most prominent women in our industry. We'll jump into that in a second because our industry is very male-dominated. But your journey didn't start out in Minnesota. You came from the Pacific Northwest, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. I started um, in Colville, Washington. Uh, at the time, we had a manufacturing facility there that was producing the Quadrifier products. I actually started as a product manager and then uh, went from product management to brand management and then to channel marketing uh, and then to sales. And, then, <laughs> and now I get to do them both. I guess it's the best of all worlds. Certainly when I started with Hearth and Home Technologies, I I never expected to stay as long as I have. I've now been with the company 13 years and I'm in my fifth different job. Wow. And I think that's what really did it for me was just the feeling that I always had such great opportunity in the industry. And there was so much opportunity for Hearth and Home Technologies as an organization to just continue to to grow and deliver great products to consumers across the world. So, so you've been with HHT the entire time because they'd purchased Quad by the time you came on in Colville? They had. Yep. Yep. I've, it's always been uh, Hearth and Home Technologies for me. Yep. Wow. Well, and I remember uh, in, I think it, was, it might've even been in episode one, I interviewed Tim Rethlake and he talked about how in his like 20 or 25 years at HHT, he's had 13 different jobs. That seems to be a common thread that that HHT is all about putting opportunities in front of people like you that, that want to go out and get it, right? Yeah, I think that's really true. I, I think that's part of our core culture, if you will. Yeah. Um, we are always willing to and actually looking for ways to change and you know capitalize on market opportunities. And so actually, the year I started was the year we went to what we called Split and Focus, which was our effort to actually get to that channel alignment. We felt like we were going to market in a way um, with our brands that that wasn't the most efficient and effective way mm-hmm. we could. And so 
we decided to change and, and go by channel. And, and that's been pretty successful with this. And as we've grown in the brands now, I mean, I think change is, is something that we do as we take brands on and we go to market in different ways. Jenny, so one thing too that you, you kind of alluded to a little bit earlier, and I want to push on this a little bit. You know, we, we joke around a lot that this industry is for life. Like no one sets out to get into the hearth industry, but once you're here, it's pretty tough to leave. And I know for you, you were, you were in a, a different industry 13, 14 years ago and you've ended up here. You know, how did you fall in love with this industry? Yeah, that's a great question. Like I say, I, I mean, until I got here, I had never been with the same company longer than three years. So I was used to moving around. I actually started in uh, Kraft General Foods. No way. I was really, <laughs> I was in the bakery division and I loved it. I love the food business. From there, I actually ended up going into dairy. So I had um, like Borden ice cream and Meadow Gold milk. And so I was doing dairy stuff for a while. Uh, when I was with Kraft General Foods, I had the Entenmann's brand and Boboli pizza shells and sauce and Oro Wheat bread, which you're probably familiar with. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, and I love food and beverage. And I thought, I'm never going to leave food and beverage. I loved that when I'd go into the office in the morning, when I worked for Kraft General Foods, that I would have overnight share data. <laughs> and I thought, this is like the world's best thing because I could adjust you know, instantly to put something new on the market or change what I had going on. And and when I started with Hearth, for the first couple of years, honestly, I thought, okay, this is this is kind of slow. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, you you don't get share data because you don't have you know codes being scanned at the checkout counter, and you know, new products take a long time to get to market. Very very different than food and beverage, but there is something just really intriguing about bringing warmth into people's homes and providing them with something that they can create family memories around and. And I've kind of always felt in my career that no matter what I'm doing, I want to be doing something that contributes to consumers and, and how they live. How can you yeah. improve their lives? And that felt to me like this was a great place to do that. Well, you're right. This industry is definitely a place to do that. And I think, I think it's easy to lose sight of that. You know, sometimes we can, we can be in it for so long and get kind of jaded with things. I think that's an awesome perspective to have. Well, Jenny, I'm going to come right out and say it. This is one of the reasons I want to talk to you on the podcast today, but our industry, I'm sure you've noticed, is very male dominated. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> I would agree with that. <laughs> and I mean, I, I can't think of another woman in our industry that's more high profile than you. And and so I want to ask you, what has that been like over the years coming into such a male dominated industry? I mean, Colville, Washington, I can't imagine is the epicenter of diversity. Um, <laughs> what What has that been like for you? Well, uh, it's not uncommon to be in a room and be the only woman in the room. And, and that's okay. I, I'd like to say that it hasn't been like that everywhere I've been. But even even at Kraft General Foods, which is a you know marketing-dominated company, and I would say marketing is a field that predom you, you, generally you would see more women yeah. in. Um, even there, I, I was the first woman on a general manager's staff uh, at Kraft General Foods. That was a big deal. Wow. But, you know... All the industries that I've been in, I would say it's just the the nature of the time that there's more, you know, men in the room per se. But I think the thing is, I just don't really notice it anymore. And I think that, you know, women who are coming up now in business, you know, I think that it's the kind of thing you really don't want to spend time noticing. You just go about your business and you and you do your job and you bring your ideas and you're confident about what you're doing and uh, and I don't think it matters who's in the room. And I guess I've never really let that get 
get in the way or influence my thinking. Well, that's a, that's a great mentality to have. But I mean, I would imagine because I've seen it happen in working in retail showroom floors where you get some big barrel chested guy that comes into the store wanting a wood stove. And, <laughs> and I mean, just being honest, sometimes they just they don't think that a woman has credibility to tell them about a wood stove, which is like the most asinine thing ever. I mean, have, have you experienced stuff like that as you've come up through the ranks? I, I would have to imagine that you have had to. Oh my gosh. The first couple of times I went into showrooms when I started with Hearth and Home, I will never forget watching a sales rep on the floor. A couple would walk in the door and they'd, the rep would immediately start talking to the man and they'd walk over, they'd have their tape measure out. They'd be measuring the size of the firebox, yep. talking about BTUs and how to start the fire and everything. And the woman would be wandering around the showroom and the next thing you know she'd be standing in front of a unit and she would turn around to her husband and say you know i like this one and he would say you know something like why and she'd say oh well i think it's really pretty it's gonna look really awesome in our family room and can't you just imagine all of our grandkids sitting around it and you know and the next thing i know that's the one that they would be buying and that's not uncommon. You know, I'm really excited actually about the the buying power of women in the market today. That is something that has really changed the dynamics of not just retail, but everything, whether it's a car or a boat or a fireplace. Women are making more of the purchase decisions. They have higher buying potential today because they're moving up in the ranks of business. Um, you know, they're getting married at later ages and that's leading them to be more financially successful before they're married. There are just so many changing market dynamics that are resulting in women being very powerful as purchasers in the United States. Well, and I think about this too. I mean, we're going to, we're going to talk about this in a second, but the reality is that even though we sell a product, you might think wood stove and I don't know, like big burly men, but, but the reality is when you look at the whole product category that we have, the female consumer, if she is not the decision maker, she's the veto vote and the man doesn't have that power. And I think the situation you described of the sales rep and the husband ignoring the wife happens way more often than we'd like to admit when in reality, it doesn't matter what he wants to buy. If she doesn't like it or if she has a bad taste in her mouth for the way that she was treated, they're not going to buy it. Yeah, that's really true. And and that's why for a, a sales rep on a retail uh, floor really needs to work to establish that credibility and trust with the people who walk through the door. And, you know, as soon as you start to focus on one person who may not be the buying influence, that's going to lead to to trouble down the road. It's one of the things that I think really sets a, a great specialty hearth retailer apart from others is when they can really focus on what they bring to their community and to the service and the technical side of the after purchase support. And if a if a consumer really believes that they're going to be taken care of by um, a hearth retailer and and the person that they're dealing with, then I think they're much more likely to purchase. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, Jenny, so we've had a little bit of time over the last year or so serving together. So we, we've obviously talked with about HHT stuff, but you're on the national board for the HPBA. And then you're also on the Government Affairs Committee, aren't you? Correct. That's correct. And, and this is, you know, for me, it's been interesting. Um, and, I, and I keep going back to this idea of being a woman in a male dominated industry, because I think this is something that we that we have to be talking about. And just realizing that, like, we got to start opening up the doors for, for more ideas and more people. But what I've noticed for me, even though I'm a guy, I'm like, 
20 to 30 years younger than most of the people in these in these mm-hmm. board meetings. So not exactly the same situation as, as how you've come up through the ranks, but I there are times for me where I'm sitting here thinking like, gosh, is this like an old boys club at the country club that's going on right here? Like, can we get some new ideas and, and some new blood? I, I would have to imagine that that's something that you felt over the years too. Is that right? Yeah, I think just having not grown up in the industry makes any of us feel that way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I've been in the industry for 13 years and I still feel like a newcomer because it feels like all the people around us have been in the industry 20, 25, 30 years. And so I think, yeah, that's inherently going to be how you feel. But there is a lot of new faces coming into the industry like yours. Um, You know, you mentioned HPBA. I mean, Rachel Feinstein with uh, the government affairs side. I mean, you know, amazing woman who really gets the politics side um you know and and then you talk about even other women i mean um ingrid schroeder from napoleon i yeah. think is one of the great female leaders and um and she was the chairman of hpba for um a couple of years and so there are people out there who i think are changing the industry like you and uh i i think it's actually a really exciting time for hearth as we look at um not only the changing of people as um, the younger crowd and, you know, potentially more women enter the field, I think we're going to see a lot of changes in the hearth industry and how we go to market over time. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And and I, I do think that is one thing that's cool. And, and that's been a cool thing about the podcast has been being able to reach dealers all over, I mean, all over the world now that are starting to write in and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm thinking the same way. Like, what can I do to start changing things in my business? I, I think you're right. I think that we are on a tipping point in our industry. And I think the next five to 10 years are going to be really, really fun. But I, I want to circle back to this. I, I kind of took us on a rabbit trail there. But going back to the idea of women having the veto vote, having way more purchasing power than maybe our industry has traditionally given them credit for. I think that we've generally missed the mark when it comes to selling to women. And so I want to I want to ask you, you know, you're speaking to a bunch of men in our industry. What do men in our industry need to understand about the way that a woman buys? Well, you know, I I obviously go to a lot of showrooms across the country uh, during the course of the year and I can almost always tell when there's the woman's touch in the showroom. If you walk in and there's a lot of clutter or it's dusty, I mean, there, you know, it, the carpets need to be vacuumed. Mm. There, there are odd things that I think a woman notices that yeah. are often overlooked if there isn't the woman's influence in a showroom. Um, and that's, that is important. Uh, so I think that's, that's one place to start. I think the other thing is, I don't know if it's just women, but I really believe that you don't want to overwhelm your purchaser when they walk into your showroom. And lots yeah. of times I feel like we try to give the consumers so many choices that we overwhelm them with options. Yeah. And they, the result is they, they're so confused. They decide to walk out the door without buying. And so I think it's really important as we move forward in the industry that we start to recognize that we don't have to give them every option. Yeah. We hear the term requisite variety. I was just going to say that. (laughs) Yeah. Enough variety to choose, but not so much that we cause them to walk away. And I think that's really important moving forward. I think you're absolutely right there. So, so drill down a little bit further. If you were going into a retail showroom, if if you're putting on your consumer hat and you're going to make a multi-thousand dollar purchase, what are you looking for to make you feel comfortable when you walk into a retail showroom? Well, first I have to I have to be confident that the person talking to me, one that I can trust them. I mm-hmm. have to know I can trust them. Two, I want to believe that they are truly knowledgeable in the industry, that they're not going to steer me down the wrong path. 
and then finally, I want to know that I'm going to get a product that's going to last for my my family and I to enjoy for lots of years to come. Well, so I want to stop you there because you said the word trust. What kinds of things make you feel like this person's trustworthy? Well, I think from a trust standpoint, I know I want to have a connection with them, however they can build that connection, whether, um, you know, they can relate to me in a way that I find appealing. Can they talk to me about things like, how do you intend to, you know, enjoy the fire as opposed to telling me how much it's, you know, how much, what size room it's going to heat? Yeah. Does it go with my decor? Does it match my style? They're going to have to ask me questions and get to know me a little bit before they provide a solution for me. And I think that's a, a great way to provide trust is to really understand what your consumer's looking for before you decide to give them a solution. Yeah. So, okay. So you, so you hit on this. It's like that old quote. I know I've mentioned it in the podcast before, but people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Is that fair? <laughs> there you go. That's perfect. I think I'm teaching that to my three-year-old daughter right now. <laughs> <laughs> So Zig Ziglar's got this great story where he talks about the sales shotgun. He tells a story about how he was going to buy a car and the guy that was selling to him did a great job of asking questions and of really understanding Zig's problem and his pain points. And that when the guy sold him the car, the only things he mentioned were things that had to do with Zig's pain points. He didn't give him useless information. He, in everything he spoke about, he talked about the pain points that Zig had. And Zig jokes around and says that when the guy first asked him, well, you got a great car. Why would you want a new one? And Zig goes, well, yeah, it is a great car, but you know, the windows don't roll up and down automatically. And I really want that. And Zig goes, I didn't know it. But I just handed him the sales shotgun and put the first round in it, you know, and and so he he jokes around about how when you understand customers problems, they're loading the sales shotgun. Now, the clarification I want to make, I want to take it a step further than Zig is that most people in our industry point the sales shotgun at their customer and just fire away with information and BTUs and random facts. And the result is that you leave your customer in a smoking heap on the ground. The right way to use the sales shotgun is to uncover the problems of the customer, which are rounds in the shotgun, and then point the shotgun at the customer's problem and fire it. And you can't do that if you don't understand their problem. I know that's a long story, but I think that there's something profound to that about understanding the customer and understanding their pain points will build trust. And then together, you can point the sales shotgun at their problem and you're ready to fire. Absolutely. And and I think that's the important part of, you know, too often you see, um, you see in the store environment, you see, you know, folks go straight to a product solution yeah. when it's really should be a problem solution. Hmm. You can't identify without really probing into the consumer's needs, uh, what, what the right product is for them. And it's not a quick process necessarily. I think you couldn't be more dead on. And I think we're going to coin this phrase that you just came up with. We shouldn't offer a product solution, but a problem solution. We're going to coin yeah. that, Jenny. Okay. <laughs> so you, you travel all over the country and we, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but you know, if you're going to give just a, a basic answer, and I mean, I know that the majority of your dealers are very, very good, but if you're looking at the top flight dealers across the country, what's the biggest difference between the top flight dealers and what your average hearth store is doing? Yeah. So I think the best of the best, um, they really are uh, one, they can bring consumers in the door. So they, they need to be active out there from a marketing standpoint. I mean, I love that, you know, some of our best deals, I mean, I follow all of our best dealers on Facebook. I love watching what they're doing. Um, I love when they post things that, 
really show their commitment to the industry and the community. It could be a community service event that they're posting. It could be a remodel that they're doing in store. But those things that really tie them back to the community, I think are very, very important. And I think that helps bring traffic in the door. And when you're a specialty hearth retailer, I think that's one of the biggest challenges you face is how do you actually get people through the door today, especially when people are spending so much more time doing their initial shopping online. Yeah, they're, They're looking online, they're doing their research. I mean, four or five years ago, it wasn't uncommon for a, a consumer to go to, to you know, four stores before they actually made a purchase. Today, consumers go to 1.4 is the actual number. Yep. So basically, if you're a retailer and you let a consumer walk out the door without purchasing, they're not going to come back. And the, the thing is, they're likely going to go down the street and buy from the guy who's right next door to you. And you and just did 75% of the work setting him up and educating him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Although, you know, they are also much more, much more educated when they walk through the door. I mean, the research that HPBA has done shows that consumers are spending over 20 hours online before they actually go into any hearth environment. So they're already pretty knowledgeable when they walk through the door. And, you know, that's a very changing dynamic that we haven't seen in the past on the hearth side. I totally agree, Jenny. And and I think that you're absolutely right with that 1.4 number. Just, you know, as I have retail showrooms, if I tell my team, if they walk out, you better get a piece of contact information because if they walk out that door, they're not coming back. And the best part is if they walk in the door and you say, have you been shopping anywhere? And they tell you, yes, that means they want to buy from you. I mean, that's all there is to it. And I think that, that, that is so true. That's a great point. <laughs> you know, you, you, you got to use the data that way. I think that having an educated consumer is one of the best things, but what our industry has to master is the silent sale, which is the sale that happens before they ever come into your showroom. Because if we're honest, I mean, everything starts at the website. They're researching the manufacturer's website. They're researching the local dealer's website. And there's things you can do in that process to win the silent sale, to actually set a customer up to be looking for your company. Even though they don't know you, they've never met you, you can educate them in a way that draws them to your company and your product. And that's going to be the battle of the next five, 10 years in our industry. Absolutely. That digital marketing, that that journey, if you will, how do you how do you take the consumer from awareness, you know, down the the funnel into an actual purchase yeah. and ultimately that advocacy piece where you get them to actually go out and and talk positively about your company to bring other consumers through and and that's the real journey that I think we're all learning more about today is how do we how do we move that consumer down the funnel from awareness to advocacy. Jenny, I could not agree more. So as we're rounding out here, I want to ask you just a couple more questions. One of them is this, what do you think the biggest challenge is that's facing our industry right now? That's a great question. And it'd be really easy to default to some of the regulatory issues. Yeah, yeah. I was going to bait you there. Those are definitely challenges. But reality is, I actually think it's more about what we've been talking about. And that is the changing way that consumers are shopping. And as an industry, I'd say we've been fortunate that because we're you know putting fire into people's homes it does make it harder for a consumer to make a purchase online. Yeah. But reality is we're going to have to adjust as an industry to the way consumers want to purchase. And and that is a very different way than it's been historically. 
And I think we are going to have to to really understand and learn how we can make our buying process more in tune with what the consumer is looking for. And I think that's going to be a, a major challenge because our product does require such specific installation, service, and safety issues. So a lot of lot of challenges around that. But you know, let's face it: the consumer ultimately is the one who gets to decide how they want to buy. And uh, and we're going to have to adapt to that over the next next I'd say five to ten years. It's going to change dramatically. You took the words right out of my mouth. I, I think that that is absolutely dead on. And and one thing that I've been saying for for a long time is that you know I don't need product innovation. We've got products that do everything we need. What I what I want in my business is we need a innovation of the way that we communicate, the way that we reach consumers and the way that we educate them because we're trying to grow our industry. But I I always talk about this is that if I go in my neighborhood, knock on 10 houses and ask what a gas insert is, none of my neighbors, (laughs) they don't even know what it is. And so I don't need a product that is whatever, 3% more efficient or has this little trick or that little trick. I need an innovation in the way that people in my neighborhood know about our products and even have an idea that they exist. Absolutely. So Last question I got for you, Jenny, is this. Obviously, you have risen to an amazing platform at HHT, and and there's a lot of people. I mean, I, I know this firsthand. There's a lot of people that look at you as a really inspiring example of a woman who's persevered and has just come to this amazing place. And I, and I know that you're an inspiration for a lot of young women in our industry. What would you say to, to young women who are looking at you as a role model? Wow. Well, first of all, I appreciate that. It doesn't feel that way. I feel like I just go to work and love it every day, and, <laughs> uh, which is a great thing, by the way. Um, you know, making the best of every environment that you're in at, at all times, I think, is one of the most important things to being successful in your career. Um, you, you can always look at the negative side, but you have to be able to flip to all the positives that are around you. You know, I have never felt like there was more opportunity than I do today, which yes. I think is kind of amazing. And, and whenever I, I think, you know, as long as you're always looking for opportunity and um, you are confident in what you can do and bring to a company and you feel like you can create positive results, whether it's uh, on the personal side or the company side or at home, all those things are just super important to how you balance out your, your long-term career and never underestimate the power of connections think that would be the other the other thing I would just say to young people everywhere is it's not a bad thing to get help from people. Talk to other folks, networking, all those things are so important. And I think even more important today, as the social side, you looked at the LinkedIn's of the world and how things how things transpire. I mean, it's it's just a changing dynamic, not only for the way consumers purchase, but for the way we all progress in our career and, and with our organizations. And I don't think you can do enough networking and, and interfacing uh, socially as well just to make those things happen. Well, Jenny, that's an amazing answer. And I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. I think this is going to give our audience a ton of value. We appreciate you carving out the time. Thank you. It's been great. I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I'll see you in a couple of weeks out in Minnesota. That's right. All right, Jenny, we'll see you then. Thanks, Tim. Wow. And I hope that you guys got some amazing insight out of that conversation. (laughs) 
right off the bat. I am stealing that phrase that we do not offer product solutions. We offer problem solutions. And we have to understand that when it comes to selling in general. Now, I also want you to hear what she talked about from her perspective of when she goes into a showroom, taking a look at the little things. Are the floors dusted? Are all the light bulbs there? Is it cluttered? Does it look like they take care of the showroom? Because if I'm trusting these people in my own home and their showroom looks like this, then what am I going to expect when they're actually cutting a hole inside of my wall? Well, another part of the conversation I thought was great too is when Jenny talked about the idea of not overwhelming your customer. And Seriously, if there's one thing that we are good at in this industry, it's overwhelming our customers. I mean, just think about the way our websites are laid out. We're blasting them with zero clearance fireplaces, inserts, gas logs, BTUs, framing specs. Think about the way that the normal consumer experience in a showroom is, where a salesperson's talking to them about IPI, sealed combustion, air tubes, catalytic systems, non-catalytic systems. We're very good at overwhelming our customers. And Jenny hit the nail on the head when she talked about requisite variety. Give them enough variety to make a decision, but not so much that they're crippled by confusion and being overwhelmed. And one thing that I do want to say is if you're a woman listening to this podcast, I think that Jenny's a great example of someone who has persevered in an industry that's very male dominated. And she's shown that through hard work and determination, you can get to a spot of serious, serious influence and credibility. So I hope that that's an encouraging word for you just to tell you to stick with it, that our industry desperately needs your insight. When I was out in Kansas City last week, I was talking to a few ladies out there that were really doing amazing things in the industry. And it's, it's just really cool to see that happening. Now, the last thing that I'll say before this episode ends is that season two is coming to an end. Like I've mentioned, there's going to be a Q&A episode. And if you want to get your questions in, you can send them to tim at itsfiretime.com. That's tim at itsfiretime.com. But in the next few weeks, when we take a break, we're going to be coming back most likely in September. And I'm going to kind of reveal my hand a little bit. I'm just telling you, I can't wait for season three. So the way that season three is going to be structured is it's going to be very thematic. And you've heard me talk about in this podcast how we use a seven-step sales process. And it's not rocket science. The steps are really simple. But having a sales process like this has supercharged our ability to connect with customers. It's like pouring gasoline onto a fire. And I know it can radically help you too. And as I've thought about the different aspects of our business, you've got the sales end and then you've got installation you've got service, you've got leadership, you've got accountability, you have all these different areas of running your business. Well, next season, we're going to come at this systematically one by one. And in the first seven episodes of next season, we are going to tackle each of the seven steps in my sales process. And we're going to go really, really deep on it. After that, we're going to dive into the different departments of your company so that by the end of season three, you're going to have the ability to use a fine-tuned sales process to connect with customers and get some some insight into how you should structure the different divisions of your company and what kinds of metrics and accountability tools need to come along with that. So like I said, I'm just revealing my hand a little bit. I cannot wait 
for you guys to hear the content in season three, but for now, we still have a couple episodes left this season. Finally, before we sign off, I have to give a shout out to our listeners in Eastern Canada. There has been an explosion of this podcast in New Brunswick, Newfoundland, Prince Edward Island, and Nova Scotia, and I'm so thankful for it. My friend Grant Falco, who's been on this podcast before, was just out at Compact Appliances Open House for their dealers this last week, and he was getting all kinds of love from his time on this podcast, and I just want to give a shout out to the folks out there in Eastern Canada. Thank you so much for checking this out. And that's all I have for this week. Once again, thank you for listening to this podcast. You are a part of something that's amazing. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time.